0: You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello everyone, and welcome to an NHL playoffs edition of Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento in my Ray Bork jersey. For the Boston Bruins, and with me, uh, as nearly almost always, is my good friend Doug Draper, who is remote this week on assignment. Uh, in I never it's 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 not Northern California. What we yeah. call this, like central central California, Cent,
1: the Central Valley. That's what it's called. Central Valley, the um, Central Valley of California,
0: and you're in Clovis. Is that correct? You're in Clovis, California, Doug?
1: Uh, Yes, Clovis, which is a suburb of Fresno. So it is uh, rocking and rolling here. I was was telling you, um, so yesterday was like mid 80s, today is low 90s and the weekend, I'll be out of here heading back to Denver, but it's supposed to be mid to upper 90s. So everybody's freaking out um, and rightfully so about the snow melt and the continued flooding here. So it's gonna be an interesting spring. They need the temps to come down.
0: Yeah, I, I made the Clovis sounds like your uh, your cousin who shows up with his own bottle of wild turkey to the wedding. That's uh, that's a great that's a great West Texas name. Yeah, Clovis.
1: Uh,
0: so uh, thanks everybody for joining us at Global Trade this week. I'm Pete Mento. This is Doug Draper. Joining us back in the booth is our friend Keenan Bra, and Keenan is back from a wedding in Key West. Um, I wish he was on video right now so you could see him. He is rested. He is very calm. He's tan. He he absolutely looks like he's come back from his island adventure. Man, he's 100% Jimmy Buffett Keenan now. I think he's going to be drinking margaritas and eating cheeseburgers in paradise. He's going to buy a sailboat and a bicycle, and um, we're just—he's going to be like shirtless and cut-off jeans. Walking around mm-hmm. in flip flops and, and drinking Jose Cuervo for the rest of his life, Doug. I think that's yep. that's going to be Keenan now. Yeah, but yep. uh, it's your turn, pal, to kick us off, and I think we're going to tag team this week's first uh, first uh, topic.
1: Yeah, yeah, we certainly are, and it's all about um, parcel. So, Pete, I'm I'm dubbing this tag team section the the summer of love was 1967. This is the summer of parcel. And it's not Haight-Ashbury Street, it's the cross-section of Memphis and Atlanta. Um, we're gonna see a lot of craziness going on. So here's my two takes on things, Pete, and then I'm gonna have you chime in because you have a different perspective on it. Um, UPS strike pending, FedEx is restructuring. Um, you know, And I believe the FedEx had an anniversary, a 50-year anniversary, a couple days ago, maybe a week ago, I think it was April 23rd. Um, which is kind of interesting so um cool thing is as we all know ups dropped the bulk freight in the ltl market and really focused on um you know parcel and even within that parcel um profile they've kind of ditched the oversize they're really honed in on small conveyable shipments um that they can just go to multiple stops and drop off at front doors <clears throat> um so it seems like there's lots of capacity now. Uh, you're going to talk about that in the pivot of, of the economy. Um, but here, here's the capacity. So your buddy's over at the uh, the government, the USPS. Um, I read that they have capacity for 60 million. I don't know if it's packages or letters or combination thereof, but they're only moving about 30 million a day. So there's capacity there. FedEx, uh, from, from the article I read, 17. 17- million parcels a day they're pumping around 12 or 13 million so there's um there's capacity out there and what transpired in 1997 and i'll tell sidebar stories at a later date but um that was the last time ups actually had a strike for about two weeks and that flooded so much business into fedex and i used to work at that time with airborne express i think you need to be north of 40 years old to remember that company but um Anyway, the, the surge of money that that created for FedEx essentially allowed them to uh, purchase RPS, uh, which was their LTL division. So there's lots of capacity. My whole point with this, Pete, lots of capacity. I don't know what the impact's going to be to customers and companies. Um, so that's the UPS side. The FedEx deal is that, you know, they've hired uh, a tons of employees um, and what they're restructuring, trying to save $4 billion with combining their ground network and their air network. So they're looking for some savings there. Uh, the term that they've used is responsible headcount management, which basically means you're shit can and we're going to spin it to the media. Um, anyway, so it, it, it's interesting. There's going to be a lot of posturing. Um, FedEx is saying, hey, there's plenty of capacity. Don't worry about it. And uh, and UPS is uh, you know, saying it's going to really be a disruptor. So uh, summer of Parcel <clears throat> and O'Brien with the Teamsters is is coming up with some great sound bites and one-liners. So it's going to be a fun summer. Not the Summer of Love, Pete. That was 1967. This is the Summer of Parcel.
0: I wonder if O'Brien has writers. I wonder if he has um, a room of people that are sitting around. And I think of, of your, your quintessential comedy writers. It's a bunch of, of nerds, you know, Ivy League men and women sitting around a big, long conference table somewhere with like half empty pizza boxes and energy drinks, like give me a premise, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because he, he is coming up with some absolutely hysterical lines and powerful ones too, scary ones. So I wonder if he does have a room full of writers. Uh, but yeah, man, this is what I, what I wonder when they say percent of capacity, is it a percent of their usual capacity or is it a percentage of, Total capacity for the market. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it seems it seems like a fascinating number to be slinging around. Is it making people feel better about a possible strike, or does it do what it does to me, which is just it just terrifies me. I mean, sure, FedEx has however much percentage, but are they just going to go into the marketplace and say, "Pay up, sucker"? Because I imagine if it were me. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. You know, I'm going to take advantage of the market where I can. I'm not going to gouge the market, but I'm going to I'm going to try to to do what I can to at least make a fair profit off of my ability to serve it. The U.S. Postal Service, though, doesn't have that ability. Their their market prices are set mm-hmm. on an annual basis. They they publish their tariff, and that's what it is. So guess what, Doug? Postal Service is going to make a lot of money off of this because their tariff is set. And they can't, they can't go out there and profit off the market. So I think you need to admit that this could be a good thing for the U.S. Postal Service if a strike happens. Um,
1: yeah, you kind I'll of buffered out. To there. React. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't hear that last piece, so um, I'm not sure what oh, you're talking about. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, all right. Nice nice save, pal. Nice save. Uh, now, uh, the second half of this that I wanted to focus on was an article that came out yesterday in a couple of different uh of our of our areas of interest, so you know that it was in, it was in our our industry periodicals. But then it showed up on CNN. So we're you know we're used to seeing this kind of stuff in the uh, the logistics news, but then last night on CNN it pops up, which is UPS begins to talk about its financial situation and very loudly, very boldly says we're expecting there to be an economic downturn in the United States. So UPS says, we as a company are expecting to see an economic decline in the United States. And they're very confident of that. I'm like, okay, well, UPS isn't a bank. UPS isn't a financial firm. So why are they so confident? And I continue reading and it says, because we move six percent of of American GDP, because we move six percent of American gross domestic product, I was like, "Wow, six percent of American GDP." We're confident that we understand where the future of the U.S. economy is going, and I, I was, you know, I was absolutely sh- taken aback. I was struck by that. And I began to, as, as my mind does, my mind's a three ring circus, you know, I begin to start unwinding all of that. So 6% of GDP, let's look at the first ring of that circus. Think of the products that they move at 6% of GDP, their ability to actually understand what they're moving, who they're moving it to, where it's coming from, who it's going to, what those lanes are, what particular industries that it serves the rate of consumption of those goods, Mm -hmm. the demographics from an industrial situation of where they're going to, the amount of consumption of energy that a company of that size must be using, the different verticals of energy that they're using, electricity, diesel, gasoline, the uh, labor costs that they have across every vertical of those labor costs, increases in wages, decreases in wages, the footprint of their... So there was that whole part. Which I then began to really freak out about, and then I thought, could you imagine if you could combine FedEx and UPS's information? So if you could take all of that information and combine it with FedEx's information, I don't know if FedEx is the same size. I honestly don't know, Doug. I mean that you know, you know, bad on Pete, bad Pete, right? Bad economist. I, I don't know if if you took FedEx and UPS and put them together what would the total GDP be? Can you imagine? Is it 10%? Mm -hmm. Is it 12%? Is it 15%? I don't know. But the amount of information that that would give you and the predictive analytics that you'd be able to do and the data science that that would unlock for you is absolutely delicious to someone like me. Mm -hmm. What you'd be able to predict. So when UPS, given the amount of information that they have at their fingertips says that, I think that that may be one of the more important predictors of the future economy. And um, I'm going to start paying a little more attention when someone like UPS says that. Mm-hmm. And I think that if somebody were to be able to put together all of the information for all the logistics companies, uh, you might have a more, a more dependable analytic predictor of the future economic stability of this country than probably anybody on Wall Street. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. When we talked about that topic, Pete, it's um, it's absolutely amazing because it's real time. Right. And I did not even think about all the analytics with fuel consumption lane, um, uh, um, you know, lanes that are are taking priority. I was just thinking about what are consumers buying, how fast are they buying uh, and things of that nature. So um, the data analytics, what we can do nowadays is awesome. Pete, here's that comment that I made mention of two seconds ago. It's like when you go to the doctor and your eyes hurt, right? And they take all these tests and they can't figure it out. And all of a sudden they take a sample of your poop and they tell you that you have low potassium and all of the things come together. You take potassium and your problem solved. So it's poop analytics is what I'm going to refer to it as, Pete. I think you can say that word on podcasts. So um, that's it. It's poop analytics. Through the parcel industry, and I love it.
0: Well, first of all, Doug, we say much worse than poop uh, on this show, <laughs> um, and, and and second of all, it's big data. It's really, really big data. If, if you if you had access to that kind of information, literally in real time, but you, you'd give yourself probably a few weeks, you could tell which cities were growing, you could tell which sections of cities were growing, you mm-hmm. could tell which states were growing and which ones were in decline. You'd be able to tell which portions of which cities were growing economically. You'd be able to tell where large layoffs were affecting particular parts of cities. You'd be able to probably tell, probably tell where um, economic impacts were happening to particular demographics of the American population. I mean, just the things that you'd be able to tell if you had FedEx and UPS's information together. I bet Amazon, I bet Amazon would you know would 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 probably, you know, light a forest on fire for that kind of information. Mm-hmm. Not that they would, but you know, they, they would probably pay an incredible amount of information. So, you want to talk about another reason for UPS to buy Amazon or you uh, Amazon to buy UPS? Oof. Uh. I mean, that's that's yeah. incredible. That's absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah. And Amazon gives that further reach because they're looking at at uh, what people are looking at <clears throat> drop rates, you know, they can analyze what people are doing in their living rooms as they research determine what they're going to purchase what they're not going to purchase and the analytics that already exist there so yeah, yeah i mean think about that that's almost soup to nuts so you can see what the consumer is involved with uh, as well as what's transporting so it's crazy
0: it's just incredible yep
1: yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah. so anyway um let's jump this thing into halftime as we know it's sponsored by uh, cap logistics uh, we appreciate uh, those uh, those folks giving us the platform every week. So please visit com, supply chain and logistics needs. So, Pete, um, let her rip, brother. I'm going to have you go first on halftime.
0: Yeah, so um, I've got a double halftime here, Doug, so just deal with it. All right. So uh, my first halftime, of course, everyone sees me wearing the jersey. Uh, no matter where you are in the country right now, there's probably something close to you. Some team close to you that is involved in the NHL playoffs. The NHL in America is is probably not as popular, not as big a deal as it is in, in certainly Canada. I, I do work for a Canadian company. I, I have that opportunity, that blessing, um, and I work with people who are who are hockey insane, which is wonderful for a guy like me because I am hockey. I am. Absolutely out of my mind about hockey. So uh, I I was born in Texas. I grew up in Texas, but I have a father who is from Boston, and he raised me a Bruins fan. And um, most of my life, I did not have a championship team. That was until the 2000s when the Bruins won. Not all that long ago, in the eye of a sports fan. But we have a heck of a team this year. But hockey playoffs are long and miserable, as anyone knows who watches hockey. Hockey is a very physical. Very, very violent sport, and it takes a, a real toll on you. Teams have to get hot, but it's super fun to watch. So if you're not an NHL fan, there are a lot of great teams right now, great teams, great young players, very um, very fun to watch. If you don't have a team that you're into, yeah. go watch a game. There, there's one on practically any night right now. I guarantee you that the charisma and the drama of the sport You'll find someone to root for and, uh, and, and you'll, you'll end up getting sucked in. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Whether, you know, the guys are from Colorado, right? The young uh, avalanche teams of, um, of the turn of the last century here, they were incredibly fun to watch. And, um, you know, Edmonton this year, really young, fascinating team. The Rangers as well. That's a really fun, or was fun you know, to watch. Tampa Bay. Uh, kind of getting their noses rubbed in it with Toronto, a team that hasn't made it out of the first um part of the playoffs in a very, very long time. So just get out there, watch all these teams, find somebody you want to root for, just as long as it's not the Florida Panthers, F them. Let's go Bruins. And then the second one, Doug, I had a question for you. Um, would you rather be lucky or would you rather be smart? Would you rather be lucky? Or would you rather be super smart? So super, super lucky or super, super smart?
1: So is is luck, uh, to me, that means it's always positive, right? I just want to clarify yeah, like, like that. Things, things
0: just sort of like, you know, if, if, if things were going to break one way or the other, things just sort of, you know, it just, you know they just usually kind of break your way when, when you need something to kind of break your way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Without question, lucky. I, I'm not... I'm not smart enough. If you're too smart, you're going to worry about your smarts. You're going to have ulcers and, and everything else. So I'd rather just have an enjoyable life, uh, be a little bit dumb and, luck. dumb and lucky. I think that's mm-hmm. a thing. And uh, I'm all in.
0: You? Yeah, I'll tell you what, dude. Um, I've been the smartest guy in the room before. I've been the 10th smartest guy in the room before. It's never been nearly as useful as being lucky every once in a while. So I'm going lucky, which, which usually surprises people. But I would absolutely go lucky rather than smart. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, I'm going to jump into this. And, Pete, I hope you can hear me. I know we're having some yep. issues with the Best Western out here. But um, uh, give me a heads up if you can hear me okay.
0: Yes, I sure can. Yes. Good.
1: All right. Thank you. So my uh, my halftime is about Louis Vuitton. And um, the powerhouse that that is, Louis Vuitton, Monet, Hennessy, reached a $500 billion status, uh, recently largest company in Europe, and the richest man in the world with uh, Bernard Arnault. Uh, I think he's worth $200 billion, I think $212 billion. 60 subsidiaries, 75 brands, Tiffany's, Christian Dior, Louis Vuitton, Tag, Fendi, Sephora. Um it's <clears throat> amazing. But here's the deal. They got five, he has five children, all of which are part of or around the empire. And if you've ever seen the show Secession, I know we've talked about that. This is a real life secession. Um, Arnaud is 75 or 74 years old. So things are gonna get real. And I think you could just throw some uh French subtitles into Secession, and you're gonna have that family dynamic. So the point of this one, Pete, amazing company that's just exploding. Uh, he's positioned itself, uh, his company in, in amazing, but there's gonna be some uh, some nuances and some funkiness um, with that family dynamic as uh, the uh, generation shift to the new leadership. So, a little different halftime from my perspective, but I wanted to share that when it made headlines this week.
0: So, uh, f- First of all, Doug, uh... Good for him. God bless him. That is quite an accomplishment. Uh, second of all, Secession is a stupid show. Um, I want to go on record. And the reason it's a stupid show is it is it is maybe one of the worst depictions of, of corporate. Uh, corporations are boring. And, it, you know, all that all that corporate stuff that they're talking about, all the drama that they're leading up to, yes, it's tense and it's anxious. But it's done with that that whole brand that he built. It was done with just a you know a, a bloodless, merciless, no anxiety. It was, it was knocked out with math and banking, and it was done with 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 lawyers and like all the stuff that happens in it. It's just it's it's basically a soap opera for people who don't know about corporations. So let's just get that out of the way. However, it's Brian. Is it, uh, is it Brian mm-hmm. Cox? Is that his name? Who plays Logan? Incredible actor. That's fun to watch. Yeah. I want. Yeah. I watch that show because of Tom, the guy that plays Tom. I think he's hysterical. Mm-hmm. I know that no one likes him. I love the guy. I think he's wonderful. I love the guy. Um, second of all, when you have these issues with these families fighting over these companies, I think it's um, as a shareholder. You know that must be something terrible to watch. And I think it's a great indication of how you need to have these succession plans in every single business. I don't care how big you are. You need to have your number two identified. If, if, you're the, if you're the supervisor of the customs brokerage team in Toledo, you need to have a second identified and your second needs to have a second identified. You owe it to your team and everyone else around you to always be growing that next level and to have people clearly identified and have someone under them identified. It's so important to have all that set up so there's no questions. Yeah. All right, Doug, give us your next topic.
1: All right, brother, and uh, we'll, we'll do this. I'm doing re- I'm doing this one really quick, right? So it's the uh, the Chips Act. When I was on the plane coming out here to California, read a great podcast about. The chick, the chips act, the, the, the analogy that it's the oil of the new generation. If you control chips, just like if you controlled oil, uh, you had a lot of power. So the one thing that, uh, this podcaster, and I'll make re- reference of it in this post, he said that there's, um, 90% of the advanced processors. These are the ones that go into the smartphones and will be teaching. AI and artificial intelligence and the things that everybody's been uh, been hyping about, 90% of those are made by TSMC in Taiwan, 90%. So if you can imagine if 90% of the world's oil was produced by one country, it would be shocking and concerning. So um, it's not, so the CHIPS Act that came out was um, a big number, out of the US CHIPS Act, I think it was $39 billion, billion that was gonna be invested But to build a plant with the technology, the uh, equipment needed to make these chips, uh, setting up a plant could be $20 billion when you look at physical structure, the tooling, the whole nine yards. Um, So 39 billion is a lot, but to get online and develop chips is, is is not a quick fix. So the CHIPS Act, it's got a lot of press. But we're in a worse spot than ever, Pete. Uh, and this this podcast I listened to um, is just shocking uh, about that. And here's the one thing. So, there, well, here's two things, my friend. Number one, it's another example of if you sell the picks and axes to the miner, that's where the money is. So, if you're developing mm-hmm. the machinery and the technology that goes into the manufacturing plant, I think you're going to be in a great position. And then, secondly, um, this individual said that Apple is in the worst possible position because the second largest market is China. Their second largest market is China. Almost all of the assembly is done in China. I know they've migrated some of that to India and all critical chips for, for uh, Apple devices, all of them are made in Taiwan. And with that tension between China and, and Taiwan, China and the US and that whole quagmire um, really puts Apple um, kind of at the precipice of what happens if so uh, they're a smart company I'm sure they'll figure it out, but um, the chip situation is not going to be fixed overnight it's more dire than uh, than I think the general public realizes and we're here today, Pete, to shed the light, the spotlight, if you will, on the craziness of the chip situation
0: yeah it's it's difficult to look at that that holistically to look at the problem of chips and not, not instantly become terrified. I think as uh, particularly supply chain professionals and trade professionals to realistically understand from the machinery that makes the chips to the chips themselves, to the ability to move all of that infrastructure in the finished goods themselves, as well as the, um, the raw material that goes into all of that supply chain and not to get scared. There's all, all the things you just said, Doug are not just reasonable. They should cause people to take a pause. So ra- rather than fuel the fire, mm-hmm. which I, I can easily do, Doug, I mean, you think you're scared now I will make you need to change your shorts. I'll make it worse. So rather than do that, which I've been doing a lot of uh, in my speaking engagements recently, I'm going to give you things to be hopeful about. All right. So thing number one, to be hopeful about in the 1980s, when we were, um, when we were in high school, there was a book that came out called the Japan that can say no, I believe that was the title or it was close to that. Um, And it was, it was written um, on the shoulders of, a number of military studies about the, um, the incredible amount of Japanese technology that was being used in the American war machine. And how, if Japan decided to shut off the supply chain of goods and products coming into the United States, how our war machine would be incapable of answering the call. Against Russia, that that got a lot of attention for two reasons. One, the the ease with which someone could blockade the uh, the Japanese island, and how that would um, that would more or less cut off that supply chain to the United States. The second half of it was at the time the United States and Japan had a positively horrible relationship when it came to trade. I think we forget now that it's twenty twenty three Japan is the world's uh i think their fourth or fifth economy on planet earth, and we forget now, looking back on it, just how ugly our relationship with japan with japan was it was it was absolutely positively as bad as it is with China now it's not it that's not an overstatement. You would turn on the news practically every night and you would see a a graphic about the surplus between the United States and Japan. There were constant arguments between the US, uh, USTR and MIDI. It was nasty. And we've forgotten about that because today everything is China, 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 when in the 1980s, it was Japan, 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 Japan. So I'll start with that. Um, We've been here before, we're here again, and there are a number of different ways that we can avoid all this ugliness. China will do what's best for China and its people. And right now, it's best for China and its people really revolves around maintaining that trade. The second thing that I'll bring up is technology is constantly evolving and our dependency on chips is a generation of technology that is seeing its, it's seeing the end of its run coming. Now, it doesn't mean that it's here. It doesn't mean that it's, um, that it's imminent but it's coming. And the leaders in the new types of technology that we'll be using as, um, as an industry are nearly all Western and mostly American. So most of the technology that we will use uh, in the next generation of electronics, they're not Chinese, they're not Japanese, they're not European, they're American. So what will take the place of semiconductors what will take the place of these chips are born and bred right here in the good old America, good old U S of A. And we will control that technology. And we will not, we will not export it. I'm telling you right now, it will not be manufactured anywhere, but here it won't. And we're going to hold on to it and it's going to be a revolution in exports. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I kind of can't wait to see what that looks like, frankly. So that's yeah. how I'll make it a little bit better. But at the same time, Doug, between then and now, oh, it's going to be awful. It's going to be just anxiety and <laughs> and, uh, and and fighting and misery and a lot of fear. So, yeah, we have every right to be terrified. Yeah. Good. All right. So uh, with that, my friend, uh, that will take us to another uh, great edition of... Um, Of, of global trade this week with my friend Doug Draper brought to you by our good friends at Cap Logistics. Um, thank you all for joining us. Um, please tell your friends, continue to hit that subscribe button. You can listen to us as well rather than watching us on practically every podcast, um, platform that you can imagine. We want to thank Cap Logistics for providing us the funding and the support to bring this to you as well as, uh, as Keenan, who I guess I'll refer to as either Shrimp or Dan these days. Um, the list goes on and on of Jimmy Buffett jokes that I could uh, I could put together <laughs> as he strings together the Coconut Telegraph and does the Destination cool. Samba. Yeah, so thank you so much, everyone, and we'll see you again next week with another great edition of Global
1: Trade this week. Thanks. All right. you. Yep.